Hey, Grace City Church. Uh, welcome to Sunday worship. Uh, really excited to to have you here and uh, and to, to be back. I've, I haven't actually I haven't really teached in this format in a while, and, and so we've had some guest kind of speakers that have been coming in, and then our interview last week. And so um, I decided to kind of dive into what we're going to be looking at today. But I do want to say something just kind of on the front end before we uh, get into this. And, and Cohen mentioned it before, but uh, this coming Wednesday for our um, family meeting. Uh, so it's going to be happening Wednesday at seven thirty. PM. It's only going to be 30 minutes, and so work really hard. You can find the link to that uh, on our website, but um, work really hard to try and be there if you're, if you're a part of our family, and just kind of as we kind of talk out our plan, our tentative plan, because uh, anything could change right now, and so, but we, we just want to look towards, hey, here's kind of the reopening date that we're looking at. Here's that process. Here's some of the things that we're going to be doing in the summer, and so please try and make it uh, to that. We'll make sure to honor your time, and and not have you uh, in that space too, too long. And so all, all of us, again, all of us are just trying to navigate and figure out how to do all of, all, all of this well. And so we'd love to, to hear your voice in that, take any questions that you may have uh, in doing that. And honestly, just, we'd just be excited to see you, uh, even in a, a digital format. And so um, I w- just, just want to say it, just want to say it on the front end. So, okay, we're going to dive into um, our meta-narrative series. We're actually finishing up uh, a series that that we actually we began when we were meeting physically, um, and then COVID nineteen uh, happened, and then um, and then the stuff with George Floyd and and the, the all the kind of last week we looked at the interview with um, with my friend Mike, and and so it's just kind of been a mixture of things that have been happening um, in these few months, and so we're actually going to uh, close up our meta narrative series uh, today, this Sunday. And then we'll be actually in the next few weeks stepping into, um, we're, we're a part of a group of churches, uh, kind of a coalition of other church plants in Charlestown, in uh, Roslindale. And, and so we're actually going to be doing a, a collective series together where you'll be hearing for some of those pastors, JD and Josh, Jua, David, some other guys that I'm, I'm friends with. And so just decided to have them um, bringing the message for us and for our church. And, and so we're going to be doing that into the coming uh, month in July and into uh, August as well. And so we're going to, we're going to kind of finish this up um, now. So let me, let me pray, and then we'll kind of dive into our final text for the meta-narrative series. God, thank you for your goodness and, and kindness towards us. Um, God, we, we know that you see us in the middle of, of all of this and, and really just strained, a strange few months that we've been in a, con, a confusing few months, a, a tragic few months, and just difficult uh, few months, God. And, and we know that, that you're present with us um, even in that, God. And so I'm just reminded uh, of how, how grateful um, we should be uh, for that knowing that we have a God who's present, even in the midst of all of this, God. And, and so we just pray today that you would just speak to us through uh, your word uh, as we kind of close up this particular series that we're in. God, we, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would provide clarity um, and understanding. God would enlighten places, perhaps, that we're walking in darkness or thinking in darkness, and, and that the, the word, as it's applied to those areas, God would would change us and, and would mold us and shape us in a way that's for our good. Um, God, and so we thank you. Thank you that you speak to us, that you still speak to us, that you uh, have a desire um, to be heard, God. So we ask that today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, so met, this Metanair series was, what was that? It was really saying that there's a kind of a grand overarching series uh, that, that really God's invited us into. And so we've walked all the way through uh, a lot of Old Testament kind of stories and really working our way into uh, the New Testament, which is actually where we're going to be at today. We're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 19. So if you have a Bible, you can kind of turn there. But Luke chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 28. Uh, and so just to kind of give you a, a bit of a summary, right? We've seen this process of, of God committing himself to a people and saying, hey, I'm going to be your God. You'll be my people. Um, we're going to live in relationship with one another. And then we've seen all throughout the Old Testament, we've seen that um, the, the, the tension that has been caused because of the rebellion of, of humanity, uh, because of our rebellion, there is continual problems that are happening all throughout the story. And this is kind of what we've seen. And really, when we think about this idea of meta-narrative, this grand overarching story, what we see is God's commitment to this story and God's commitment to a people who, who are still rebellious. It's an, actually a pretty incredible story to, to see and, and to look at. And, and we've been looking at how, how God's used prophets and how he's used um, kings and just how he's kind of organized his kingdom and people. And so today I want to look at um, a text of scripture that you, you may be familiar with. It's called the uh, Triumphal Entry. And it's, it's really um, towards the end of Jesus' ministry of him coming into uh, Jerusalem and uh, it's a remarkable story and a lot of imagery that I think fits really well with what we have been looking at in the Old Testament, this idea of a king for God's people and leading them. And so I'm going to read 28 through 40, and then we'll talk for a bit. Just like three things I want to pull out of the text uh, today um, for us. So, so this is what the text says, this is what Luke tells us. When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a, a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them, which is, which is pretty remarkable that, um, that the colt is there. Uh, verse 33, as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Verse 34, the Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on. And as he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path uh, down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd, listen to this, it says, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. And then verse 30, it says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees of the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, uh, the stones would cry out. So here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about um, essentially a, a public proclamation. This is, this is really what is, is happening here. Jesus is, and we see it in the text, but Jesus is essentially um, directing a sequence of events that are ultimately going to lead to his death. He, he's organizing, in, in a sense, Jesus is organizing his, his own parade. 
and kind of leading them, uh, leading this parade um, into the city and directing and in total control this whole time. So there's a couple of things that we see here. If you're, if you're looking at the story, there's some stuff that I think stands out to us. Here's the first thing I think stands out to us about this parade. One of the things that we notice is, is the, the type of king and the, and the type of kingdom that we belong to. What, what, is the, what does the text tell us, right? This isn't a, a forceful kingdom. This wasn't a, a kingdom with uh, political power. This, this actually um, was an Old Testament, was, was pointing back to an Old Testament prophecy in, in Zechariah 9.9. Um, this, is what the, this is what the prophet said. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey, right? So, so the first thing that really sticks out to us is this idea that, man, this is the type of king that we're to follow. And this is the type of kingdom that we're to be about. Is this a kingdom? Was Jesus bringing a kingdom? We talk about this. Was Jesus bringing a forceful, powerful, influential, high-status kingdom? Was, was, was that his goal? No. No, that, that's not the type of kingdom that he was in, enacting. Uh, Daryl Brock says it this way. He says, Jesus' entry is a major statement about God's plan and the nature of his kingship. Bruce Larson says, says it this way. Jesus entered Jerusalem not on a, a white charger, right? Not a Dodge charger, like an animal charger. Um, Jesus entered Jerusalem not on a white charger, but on a lowly beast of burden. Not on a horse as a symbol of power, but on a colt of a donkey as a symbol of humility. He's the peaceful king of the people of God, not a revolutionary with political interests. I, I think this, uh, for me, this was just speaking so much truth, especially when I think about just how divided um, our, our, the church can, can be, right? I mean, I, I know that we can look at the culture and see kind of how divided people are and, and landing in various kind of uh, political parties and, and tribes and, and all these types of things. But just even in looking at just the Christian church, um, how, divi- how divided there can be a sense, in, in some ways along those kind of cultural lines that we tend to think about. And, and Jesus was never intending to, um, uh, to, to create a kingdom of, of, of power, of, of like cultural influence and power. This, this was not what he was, was after. Honestly, um, every time the Christian church that we see begins to associate with, with power and influence, right? I mean, this is what history has taught us, is that where power and influence, especially, um, especially political power, anytime they enter the equation, the way of Jesus becomes, uh, typically becomes diluted. I mean, we, we even see this. So in, in the 1300s, uh, Constantine uh, was, was king and emperor. And b- before Constantine, the Christian church was, was persecuted in an, an unbelievable way. Um, Nero and, and other emperors were just, were killing Christians and lighting the streets with Christians' bodies. And just, 
if you, if you go back and read Christian history, it's unjust, unreal the type of persecution that the church was experiencing. And, and something radical happened in the 300s, and Constantine comes into power. And what the history books tell us is that Constantine, um, that he, he professed being a Christian. Now, this, is, this is, tends to be debated, right? Um, whether this was a, a just a, a primarily a political move or he actually it was a genuine mark of faith. But what we do know is that when Constantine um, took over or when Constantine became a, someone who was confessing the way of Jesus, that he dramatically changed um, how Christians were operating in the culture. Bef- before this... Um, Christians were kind of operating in the, the margins. They were operating with the understanding that there was persecution and that they could be killed. And they, they weren't operating with any type of, of cultural power. When, when Constantine came in, he, he didn't make Christianity the official language. But he began to remove some of the restrictions that were on Christians operating in the culture. And, and then some of the really interesting things that we begin to see happen is a lot of the, the worship that we, we see developing in the Christian church during this time period uh, begins to take on a, a very similar cultural look to the contemporaries that were operating in that day. And so they were beginning to, to burn incense, which was typically for, um, for the emperor. They were beginning to, to kneel and pray, which was not something, which was typically something you did for an emperor. That wasn't something that was recognized in the Christian church on our age, early age. Christian leaders began to call themselves priests. Um, and in this period, this wasn't something that they did before, but it was what their contemporaries were doing in the pagan, uh, in the other pagan religions. Uh, Christian leaders, these priests began to wear kind of, uh, you know, a, a type of garb that was, was more official. It, it worked to kind of separate themselves from um, those who were, were in the, the Christian church. And we just begin to see this, this influence um, in, in change in the Christian faith. Well, why? Well, it was because there was, they had influence and power now. I mean, people were like, wow, Constantine is a Christian. I need to get involved in, the, in the, the Christian faith. I need to make sure that I'm ensuring that I'm on the right side of that. And in so many ways, we're, we're still trying to, I think the Christian faith is still trying to recover from this time period in the 300s where it really, in, in a lot of ways, diluted the way of Jesus. Now, I'm grateful that he, it's not a bad thing to remove, hey, you can't needlessly kill Christians, right? No one's, no one's arguing for that. Um, but there is, there is evidence to suggest that when power and influence made its way into the church, that the church began to equate, hey, if we're going to make a mark in this world, we need to have high positions in culture, we need to have political power, we need to have wealth, um, all, all of these things. And, and so, that, that's not what we see here um, in this story. I mean, the, the way of Jesus was what? It was one of humility, of self-sacrifice, and service to God. That is the model that, that Jesus gave us, that we'd be a people who were humble, that we'd be willing to self-sacrifice, um, and that we were in service to God. And so we see this directly in this text in Luke 19. We see it in the triumphal entry. He's, he's not coming in on a, a charger or a large horse. He is coming in um, on a donkey, on a humble animal here. So we see the kingdom that we're to be a part of, and we see the king who's asked us to follow. Okay, what's the second thing um, that we see? Well, we actually see in this story, um, we see that we have options when it comes to our response to Jesus. I mean, look, Luke draws our attention to two responses here. 
Uh, we have 35 in, in 38. And what does it say that the, the crowd does? It says, then they brought, the, they brought it to Jesus, brought the donkey to Jesus. And after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. And as they were going along, right? Imagine this picture. As they were going along, they were spreading their clothes uh, on the road. And when he came near the path, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles um, that they had seen. Okay, so the, the first response that we see is what? That you can recognize his authority and then respond in genuine faith. You can recognize the authority of Jesus and then respond in, in genuine faith. I mean, I use all of those words on purpose. Respond in in genuine faith. And because then what does it say begins to happen? After the crowd decides to begin to praise him, then verse 38, it says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. I mean, they're quoting Old Testament scripture and saying the king is here. The, the, the one that we've been waiting on is, is finally here. He, he, he is in, uh, he's in this place. Rejoice, right? They're saying rejoice greatly. Daughter, of, I mean, this is kicking back to Zechariah. Daughter of Zion, shout in triumph. Daughter of Jerusalem, your king is coming. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey. The fowl, uh, uh, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. See, they're, they're responding in genuine faith. Well, who, who's responding in genuine faith? Well, well, the disciples are, are doing this. But, but listen, because here, here's the reality, right? You, you can't have dual monarchs, right? There's a, reason, there's a reason kingdoms don't have two kings. It doesn't work out that way. You, you can't pledge allegiance. You can't give allegiance over to two kings. And so Jesus coming into the city is what? They're saying, you are our king. You are the monarch in a sense that we are going to follow and do that. And, and the people, what we, what we can gather from the text, because we see this story in other uh, New Testaments, in, in both in Mark and in Matthew, what we, see do, what we see happening here is the disciples are really leading the charge of this. I mean, there are other people that begin, there are other people in the crowd that begin to um, take this on as well. Now, what we, what we know about that is the disciples were leading the charge. The crowd begins to kind of follow along, but we also recognize that Listen, a week later, Jesus is going to his death. And these same people that are shouting Hosanna or shouting Jesus is king are the, some of the same people that will be shouting crucify him later. Now, we know, we know that crowds are fickle. We, we know that not everyone here is practicing genuine faith. But I, I look at what the disciples are doing here, and, and I think... Isn't this our job? Like, isn't our job as those who are following the way of Jesus to, to essentially to stir the crowd to see Jesus as king of a different kingdom? I mean, th this, is, this is what God has called us to do. This is what Jesus has um, laid an example for us to do. To, to be the type of people that are just helping to, to stir the crowd. What does it say, what does it say that disciples um, their praise is based on what? So if you, if you go back and look at verse 37, I, I love how we see this here. It says, Now he came near the path of the Mount of Olives, 
And the whole crowd of the disciples begin to praise God joyfully with a loud voice, right? So they're making noise. I mean, they're, they're shouting. We were downtown. Um, we were downtown on Tuesday. We were showing some friends around Boston, and they were having a, uh, they were having a Black Lives Matter uh, protest um, there in, in the kind of the middle of the financial district, right? And you could, we could hear it all the way. We could hear it like blocks away. We could hear it. And I just kind of had that image in my mind as I'm, as I'm thinking about this kind of triumphal entry, right? And this, these like shouts of, of joy that are happening. And these people are recognizing, saying, Jesus is king. And so it says, with a loud voice, joyfully with a loud voice. And then what it says, listen, look what, at the end of this verse 37. It says, um, uh, they begin to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. So, why were, they, why were they praising Jesus? They were praising Jesus because they had experienced Jesus. They, they had experienced Jesus' life. L- listen, if, you, if you're checked out, just, just hear this one thing. Their personal experience drove their public proclamation. The disciples' personal experience with Jesus... They saw him heal children who were dead, raise Lazarus from the grave, uh, heal a woman um, who, who's been sick since birth, give blind people their, their, their sight back, give lame people the ability to, to walk again. I mean, their, their personal experience of Jesus is what was driving their public proclamation. And so I just want to say to you today, I, I think that's all, that's all God's asking us to do, is to use our personal experience with Jesus, the way that we've seen him change our lives, the way that we've seen him um, radically transform our thought life, the, the way that we've seen him um, radically transform our sexuality, radically transform our speech, radically transform um, our, our desires and the way that we think about our vocation and, and all of these types of things and, and just how, how we live. The, the intimacy that we experience with Jesus through reading the word, through fasting, through prayer, through silence, through living in community um, with other believers and, and being a part of, of Grace City. All God the Father is asking us to do is proclaim the way of Jesus based on our personal experience. And this is what the disciples were doing. Listen, you, you don't have to have um, a, a theological degree. You don't have to know, you know, original languages in the Bible. You, you don't have to, to be able to kind of do all the hermeneutical approach stuff. I mean, all of those, all of those things are good. You, you don't have to just directly know all the deep things of God. I mean, I think we should do the work to understand those things. But, but really what God's just calling us to do is, is publicly proclaim Him based on our personal experience. And this is what the disciples are doing. They're, they're saying, man, this Jesus is king. And the reason that we know that is we've, we've had a personal experience with him. And we've seen him do the work of God the Father. Okay, so there's, there's recognizing and then responding in genuine faith to Jesus. That's one option that we have. And then the, the, um, and then the, second, uh, the second option that we have is to, is to do what? Is to deny his power. And look for another power. Look at verse 39. It says, Some of the Pharisees, uh, it says, Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, 
rebuke your disciples. Now, why, why did they respond this way? Why did they, what, what was their deal? Why, why couldn't they get it? Well, from, from the very beginning, a, a right response to Jesus is rooted in a type of unseen hope and belief in the plans of God. I mean, that's what, right? We, our, our response to Jesus is rooted in this unseen hope and, and unseen belief in the plans of God. And the Pharisees didn't have that. They didn't believe in this unseen hope and, and they, they, in belief in the plans of God as played out in the person of Jesus. And so all they saw was blasphemy. They, they're saying, Jesus, correct them because they're implying something about you that should only be applied to God. So you need to stop them because that, you don't have the right to receive that type of, uh, of cheering, that type of welcome into the city. I mean, they, the, the, the Pharisees knew exactly what was going on in this moment. They knew what the crowd was implying. This wasn't an accident. They understood it. That's why they, re, that's why they responded this way. And Jesus does what? In verse 40, he answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, I am the son of God. If they weren't praising, nature would. What was he implying there in verse 40? He's saying, no, their response is a right response. They're, they're responding because I'm the son of God. And so we see, the, we see the, the responses to Jesus here were pretty polarizing. I mean, it was believe in genuine faith and respond that way that we see the disciples doing and, and trying to bring the other crowd along with them. Or we see the Pharisees and saying, whoa, 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 you don't deserve worship. You don't deserve to be followed. You don't deserve to give your life over. Um, you don't deserve for us to give our life over to you. Listen, we... We, we have an ability to make a response to the way of Jesus. Every day, you have a choice and I have a choice to determine how we're going to respond to the person of Jesus and, and what, he, what he calls and, and, and asks us to do. We, we do. And, and I do want to say, just as a word of encouragement in, in this, because we see the Pharisees... Um, Right, they're, they're responding and, and saying no. Listen, we as people following the way of Jesus should expect a variety of reactions to Jesus. I mean, we just should. And, and I do want to say that, listen, there's, there's really no need to force kind of a, a positive response from people. That, that's the work of God. Now, we pray, we, we talk to people, but we, we don't have to force uh, a positive response. And we, we can't do that. We can't produce that in people. Jesus wasn't trying to do that here with, the, with the, the Pharisees. He was accepting and recognizing the disciples and the other crowd, but he, he wasn't in an argument with them. That, that's not our job and responsibility. Okay, so we see the type of king and kingdom that we have. We, we see that there's a, a variety of responses. And here's the, the final thought and, uh, and how I want to end our time um, here. Jesus, I, I think Jesus provides us with an example of how to live here in, in this story. This, this is a kind of a, um, this is kind of a, a 
paradoxical thing that's happening here. Because I want you to imagine this with me. So Jesus is going into the triumphal entry. He's coming into Jerusalem. He is fulfilling prophecies in the Old Testament with the cult. Um, and that's, he's asking him to go do these things. And, and, and all of this is happening on a timetable in which Jesus knows that's supposed to be happening. And the crowd is watching this. And, and all the crowd is, is seeing is what? They're seeing a king come uh, on a donkey, right? They were expecting a political king, a political power. This is, what the, this is what the people of Israel were expecting of Jesus. And so they're thinking when they see a parade, when they see a, a triumphal entry, they're thinking the king is coming to take his place rightfully on the, the earthly throne and is going, to, uh, is going to remove Rome as the power and we're going to be replaced um, and, and will be placed in, in, a, in a place of power. This is what they're seeing. They're, they're really only seeing one dimension um, of Jesus' entry in, in Luke chapter 19. But what you have to understand is that a week later is the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus knows that. Jesus is not surprised that the crucifixion is coming. I mean, G- Jesus, um, Jesus is fully committed to the will of the Father. Th- this is why I think this is such an incredible example for us. Because God the Father has asked Jesus to do this. And, and we see, what is Jesus' response? Well, in, in John 6, verse 38, this is what Jesus has said. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, who else has God the Father sent? I mean, hasn't he sent you and I? Hasn't he sent us in, in all kinds of uh, a variety of ways, right? He sent us into um, different work, workspaces and vocations. He sent us into our families. He sent us into different social circles. He sent, maybe he sent you into this city, into uh, Boston. I mean, this is what Jesus is laying out for us. He's giving us an example. He's saying, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but do the will of him who sent me. This is why I say that in this, Jesus provides an example uh, to us for how to live. Because again, they just, saw, they just saw the triumphal entry. They just saw the parade. I mean, this was essentially, and this is so true of most of Scripture, is there is so much more happening and going on here than just a triumphal entry. Yes, is this a parade for Jesus? Yes, it is. Is it a recognition of his kingship and his authority? Yes, it is. But Jesus also knew in, in so many ways that this was also what? That this was his, his funeral procession. That he was working his way to the cross. That he was going to die a week later. And, and did he stop? Did he, did he stop him? Did he not go to the city? No. He went. Why? Because God had sent him. And, and he wanted to be about the will of God the Father. And, and isn't this just, man, doesn't it just feel that way sometimes? Like, isn't sometimes following God, it can, it can, it can feel like confusing and, and, and difficult. It's, it's like a, 
a, a welcoming parade and, and a funeral at the same time? Right? I mean, God calls us to, to do things and, and it feels paradoxical or counterproductive. I mean, Matthew um, 16, verse 25, right? I mean, it says, for whoever wants to, to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. See, Jesus was, was, was going to get to the throne through, through the parade, but he was also getting to the cross. And, and I think in a lot of ways, following Jesus can be like that for us as well. He, he calls us to lay down things that we're, we're unsure of, of why he's called us to lay it down, that it would, it would make more sense if, if we didn't lay down that particular thing. Like it, it would be smarter and, and seemingly wiser and more to the world's standards to do that. But, but we see Jesus show us what it means to be a, a follower of, of his. It means to be one committed to the will of God, one that's willing to do that. And so maybe, maybe today um, Jesus is in, inviting you, he's inviting us, right, into participation in the kingdom. Maybe he's, he's asking you, hey, uh, you're, you've responded in, in you've responded to me and, and you've responded in genuine faith, but I want to call you to deeper levels of participation with me. And perhaps uh, today you need to commit yourself um, in, into doing that. Maybe he's, he's calling you into following his example and trusting the Father into doing something that, that could lead to, to suffering, that could lead to death. Maybe not a physical death, but a death in other ways. You to, to mimic Jesus here. Maybe he's, he's calling you to public proclamate, more public proclamation, just based on your personal experience. Maybe there's a coworker that you've not shared your faith with, or a family member, or a friend group, a friend circle that, that, that you're spending time talking about a lot of things other than Jesus. And so maybe he's calling you into that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe for you, you've not made a genuine um, call to faith in Jesus. And you need to trust him today. You need to, to recognize Jesus as King, as Savior, as Lord, as one who has is, who is, who is closed the boundary between you and the God the Father. And so you need to acknowledge your sin debt against God. You need to um, ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and, and commit yourself to following the way of Jesus. We, we would love to help you do that. You, you can message us right here on this format or, or on our website, whatever that looks like for you, depending on when you're watching this. We want to invite you um, into this following the way of Jesus, into trusting into the way of Jesus. The, the, the reality of the, the meta-narrative series is that we not only have a God who has committed himself to a people, and it's through the person of Jesus that, that we enter into that, but we also have a God who's inviting us into. He's committed himself and in inviting us into this story. And so perhaps you need to do that today. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Um, thank you for your love and your commitment to us, even when we don't deserve it. God, and, and so I just pray um, today that you would, would call us into deeper levels of relationship with you, God, and that, and that we would have the courage to follow that out.
God, that you would help us to commit ourselves to the, the public proclamation of the word that would be rooted in a, in a, in a vibrant, intimate, personal relationship with you. God, we, we, I just I see in the culture, God, just the need for a, a people to rightly live the way of Jesus, to, to be people who are stepping into conversations, that are, are willing to have dialogue and engage with people and do it in a way that is, is gracious and, and patient and willing to listen, God, and, and kind, and um, that, that you could do something um, among your church and in the culture in these days that, that perhaps otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for all the things that are going on. God, we know that you won't waste these days. God, we just ask for your help. God, we ask for your, your insight, God, and your, your power through the Holy Spirit. God, we want to experience your power. We don't want just, just content and information and, and these things. God, we want, to, we want to receive your power, God. And so we, we love you, God. Would you grow our affection and love for you? Would you grow our affection and love for neighbor? God, we pray all these things in Christ's name, God, knowing, believing that you hear us. Amen. Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us today. We're so grateful uh, to have you joining along. Cohen's got a few more things uh, on the back end. And I hope to see you uh, this coming Wednesday for our family meeting.